Hello, hello, hello. Hi there. We're the Radical Remnant. Everyone, anyone, one God. Welcome to our podcast channel. Today, we bring you a playback of Sunday's Charge Up. We hope that you listen with your spirit and are blessed. We're present. All right, before I get into the meat of the message, I want to remind us about something. We hear it quite often that we are predestined. And for many of us who have become Christians, but we're already kind of surrounded by Christianity, there's a lot of stuff that we say without full comprehension, without full understanding, without even any proper understanding. In Romans 8 verse 30, it says, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Stay with me. Ephesians 1, 3 to 5 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Hold, hold on to that. Before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his presence. Not just holy and blameless. Holy and blameless in his presence. In love, he predestined for us adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to his good and the pleasure, pleasure of his will, right? Now, many of us have heard about David. We read the Psalms, we talk about David quite a bit as Christians. But I am just, I guess, Maybe the word is aligning with what David went through. I am I'm only just properly internalizing it, not as a story, not as a cute teaching, but as like this was someone's life. A quick backstory. David had a son, okay? Um Absalom. Absalom was the third son of David. I'm giving the backstory so that when I get into the meat of it, you understand. And just in case there's someone who's listening to this who's never heard the name David before. David in the Bible was a king chosen by God, anointed by God, one of God's favorites. God actually says, he's a man after my own heart. And we, we as Christians, we say this a lot without even understanding it. So Absalom was David's third son. Hold it, right? There was a guy called, and I'm going to mess up the pronunciation of his name, but just try, okay? Ahithophel. 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 You can look for it in the Bible. Now, this fellow was the counselor of King David. Okay, so there are two people I've mentioned now. There's Absalom, who's a third son of David. And there's the guy whose name I couldn't pronounce very well, Ahithophel, who's the counselor. So there's the son and the counselor. And this counselor was a guy that was greatly renowned. He was very forthright. You know, people considered him to speak on God's behalf. And during Absalom's revolt, which I will speak about, this Ahithophel, who was David's counselor, almost like his right hand man, he deserted David. Now, you may now ask, why did David's son say, you know what, I'm upset with David? To be honest, I'm not fully sure. 
But I believe it has to do with the fact that at some point, um, Absalom sought revenge against his father because he felt maybe that his father didn't take action against the other brother, Amnon, who raped his half-sister, right? So there was a half-sister called Tamar, and Amnon raped Tamar. Please go and fact-check me. The point is, Absalom had a sister called Tamar, right? And Tamar was raped by a fellow called Amnon, okay? Um, and Absalom felt his father didn't maybe take, you know, proper action. These are my thoughts. It doesn't say categorically this is why, but these are my thoughts. So we are now, consider this that we're in present day, and Absalom is upset and he's now staged a revolt against his own father. And he asks this former great counselor of David for counsel. You see, I found this funny immediately, and I'll expand on that. But remember that the person they asked for counsel was the right-hand man of David, okay? The meat of the story can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 17 from verses 1 to 4. 2 Samuel chapter 17 from verses 1 to 4. It says, then Ahithophel said to Absalom, please let me choose 12,000 men and I will set out and pursue David tonight. I will strike while he is weary and exhausted and I will terrify him. And all the people with him, note this, will flee. All the people with him will flee. Then, it didn't stop there, then, I will attack the king alone and I will bring all the people who follow David back to you, back to you being Absalom. The return of everyone depends on the death of the man you are seeking. Then all the people will be at peace and accept you as king. And so this plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Father, I thank you for what you're leading me to share today. And I pray that you prepare the hearts of everyone under the sound of my voice to hear it, to understand it, and most importantly, to act on it as you lead. That it will not fall on deaf ears, O oh God, but that your Holy Spirit will order the steps of everyone under the sound of my voice. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Guys, the big question today is whether and how are we standing? How are we? How, what's our, how are we standing? What's your, you know, um, I joke with the family and say, what's your stance? How are you? How are we standing? The domino effect here is something that may be easily glossed over, not necessarily seen. But if you pay attention to certain things, Hopefully, you will see yourself in some of the scripture. He said, I will strike while he is weary and exhausted. I have heard repeatedly from this community and from many people around David and myself how weary and exhausted we have been. 
it has been a season of feeling weary and exhausted. Anybody relate to that? I like to check the temperature of the room every single time because I don't like to just talk for the sake of talking. If it's not relevant, then you just ask how we're all doing. We're all good together and start again. Anybody relate to the feeling of feeling weary and exhausted? Not necessarily physically. It's not like your body hurts. It's just a sense of heaviness. You know, weary is so tired from tired. It's so different from tired. Tired sometimes is um, is sometimes a manifestation of physical activity or exertion. Weary sometimes you don't even you're just heavy, right? Okay, so I, I'm I'm talking to you and, and you are relating. The scripture said, I will strike when he is weary and exhausted, and I will terrify him. Anybody feeling terror? Terror not in the sense of fire and doom and gloom, but some sense of anxiety, some sense of I'm about to fail, or there's stuff I need to be fearful about. Fearful about your future. Fearful even to make some decisions. Fearful to be exactly who you are. Fearful to ask for help. Anybody? Anybody related? Anybody? Anybody just question? Am I speaking to people? You see, when you guys' videos are not on, it's so difficult for me to move. I'm just speaking in the air, but we're all communicating. Nobody's feeling any sense of anxiety, any heaviness in terms of. I don't need you to agree with me. I'm just trying to make sure you can hear me to be very clear. And then the the, the 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 scripture goes on to say, then I will attack the king alone. This paints a picture of isolation. Sometimes when the enemy wants to get to you, he will isolate you. Not always physically, but sometimes emotionally. Sometimes the enemy will single you out a bit, convince you that you should not pray with people who you should pray with, convince you to skip fellowship or skip charge up or skip church or skip prayers, convince you that you are too weary to be there. Remember they said, I will strike while, while this person is weary and exhausted. So you will convince yourself that, oh boy, I'm tired, da, 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 da. And it's not that you are lying per se, but part of it is maybe due to our lack of leaning on the Holy Spirit. And that's a different conversation. He says, I will attack the king alone and I will bring back all the people who follow David back to me. So you already understand that David is king. You already understand that this is a powerful person for them to be concocting this very elaborate plan. It means that the person that they plan to attack holds power. Do you understand? So just like you and me, there is power that we hold. There's power that I hold. And for our generation, the difference is this. We are not as close to God in terms of, of the distractions that we battle with every day, mentally, physically, socially, right? So there is extra work to even do to even hear God, 
even be in, in tandem with the Holy Spirit to pray, to do the things we have to do. In those days, it was kind of roped into the way that they lived. Do you understand? Going to the temple, fasting, praying, all those things. It doesn't mean they, they did not sin, but being Christians, or rather fearing God, because this is the Old Testament, may have felt a bit easier than it would be in 2023. He says, I will bring all the people who follow David back to you. Now, in this situation, I want you to imagine for a second that the enemy is Absalom. Do you understand? The enemy is Absalom. And in the context of your life, there are certain things that you have been predestined to do. There's certain power that is within you. Whether or not you know it, whether or not you know it and it's hard for you to accept it, whether or not you've accepted it, but to know what to do with it is a different issue. It is true. Okay? So now you are a powerful person within your right as a child of God, predestined, chosen, justified, called. Right? But the enemy, and I've said this many, many times, pays more attention to you than you do to yourself. So the enemy takes note of the things that you are emotionally attacked to, the things that are easy to beset you. The enemy knows who your closest ally is. Remember that in this story, it is the counselor to the king that has come out to betray him. You know, when I was, when I was um, taking notes, I, I want to read something that I wrote here. I said to myself, I said, it is the sin or the issue familiar to you that the enemy will use to trap you. Because Ahithophel was familiar to David. He had studied David. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? In his mind, he knew David. So he crafted a plan. Now, it doesn't mean this plan is a good plan or a bad plan. That's not what we're going to to focus on today. What we're trying to get at is the fact that this was a plan nonetheless. And in Ahithophel's mind, he said, I will get him when he is weary and exhausted and I will terrify him. And then the worst part of that is that he, they will first attack the person, but then they will bring all the people who follow David along. My question for you is, are you aware that there are people who are following him? is not in the terms of social media. Are you aware that your destiny, your purpose is attached to that of many, many people? You are not just here. You're not just a fluke. You're not just, it's not a coincidence that on Sunday today, you are here listening to me or whenever it is that you hear this message. You are not a mistake. You are not an error. You are not a gauge. God orders the steps of the righteous. God knew before the ends of time that you would be here. Hearing me, the sincerity in my voice today. And I want to tell you, as sure as I am speaking and you can hear my voice, that there are people whose destiny, whose solution, whose freedom, whose knowledge, support, love, understanding, wisdom, salvation, deliverance, is attached to you. And that is why you will be feeling as weary and exhausted as you do. 
because you are carrying people with you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You see, they weren't only interested in bringing David down. They were interested in the power, the anointing of David and the people following David. And at the end of that, they said, and all the people will be at peace and accept you as king. They needed those people to come to their side. I'm sure many of you listening to me would have found yourself in situations where you are the only person with AIDS, with an iota of single-mindedness to say things how they are. Maybe even in your family, they will call you the rebellious one. Maybe in your family, they will say, ah, don't you know so-and-so? They will say, it's what you think you will say. Don't you know so-and-so? This time one won't follow everybody. Don't you know? Have, has anybody here heard that said about them before? That you are, you don't, you don't fit sometimes. Even in some quote-unquote Christian spaces, you will be that person who may question some decision-making that everybody else just wants to flow. Does anybody here recognize themselves in that analysis? You see, the thing about it is that the domino effect I'm speaking about here, I don't want you to take it for granted. That decision that you think is a cheap one is inconsequential. That decision that you water down when you want to quit completely, if you don't do it for yourself, do it for the people who are attached to you. There is indeed a domino effect. If they get you, they get them. You see, God is a God of order. God puts one thing before the other one. Sunrise, then sunset. Birth, then death. Pregnancy, then deliver. Do you understand what I'm God puts things in order. And his order is his order, no matter how much science tries to mess with it. That is why no matter what people say, in, in this whole world where everything is accepted and freedom is freedom and love is love, right? There are still some things that only a woman can do and there are still some things only a man can do. Now, even if we water it down and mix it up and shake it up and distort it and dilute it, it will still remain that that is the order of things. There is an order to your life. You are not a coincidence. There is a domino effect to you giving your life to Christ. There is a domino effect to you getting closer to the Holy Spirit. And I assure you that that weight, that feeling of weary, and I feel weary, I feel exhausted, is not only you feeling that. Matter of fact, I think it is a prerequisite for you to get to a place where you are only reliant on the because if you can depend on your strength, you will become vain in that capacity and start to worship your own self and your capacity. You see, Absalom betraying his father. We, we read it again like it's a story. David had gone through years of running from Saul, from correct about seven. 
Now imagine they already told David you're going to be king, da 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 da. And he served so he was not pompous, he wasn't arrogant, he did his work, he was diligent. And for no fault of through no fault of his own, because he was anointed, chosen, he still went through trials and tribulation. Many of us feel that when we give our lives to Christ, therefore from there everything has to be sweet and soft. You know? All that does is it positions you spiritually and gives you the power and the audacity as a child, a son, a daughter of God to speak those things that be not as good they are. Without God, you can't do that. And after this, you now see that his own son is betraying him. I felt as I was reading this, I mean, what, what's up, God? How far? This guy suffered. And I don't know if you also are going through a season in your life where you are saying to God, God, is he really me? And I've been saying that since the top of the year, if you guys have been paying attention, that like you may be going through certain things where you are asking God that, I'm looking at how it's happening for this person and how it's happening for that this person. And you know, we live in this culture where we show off only our successes. So we see everybody else's success and we never see their failures. And then we compare that with where we are and feel like we are failing, where in fact we are not, we are thriving. We have more peace and more joy than these people that we want to be like. But, you know, you may be looking at that and saying, God, it looks easy for person A and it looks like it's going smoothly for person B. Why does my process have to seem so complicated? In the midst of the different storms that would hit, the temptation is to fall. The temptation is to quit. And you see, you now start to be like this. If you can see me, you start to waver. You are up to date, down to you are up to date, down to you are up to date, down to you. And any time you fall, the people behind you fall, and the people behind you fall, and the people, you fall, and the people you understand? It's a chain reaction. And there's a part in the Bible that says, when you've done all to stand, stand. It's to, to me, it's not a some kind of metaphor. It's just saying exactly what it's saying. Stand. And I started this conversation by saying, what's your stance? Why are you standing? Because how you are standing will, will determine how the people who are needing the destinies attached to you, how they also stand. And you see, those destinies don't have to look like followers. It could even be your parents. It could be children that you haven't given birth to. It could be a spouse you haven't met yet. It could be a ministry that you are not even going to start for the next 30 years. That is dependent on the way you cultivate yourself now, on the way you nurture your relationship with God. Second Corinthians 13 verse 5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail to test when, when the, at the point in my life where my father was disillusioned that I was going to be a doctor and I, I was doing chemistry, such a mess, um, there was something called a litmus test, right? There were all these tests in chemistry to test different things. And, you know, if you put something, something will turn yellow. If you dip something in some acid or some chemical, you can say I wasn't paying attention, it would be a different effect. The point of the matter is, as Christians, we gather not only to praise and to worship God, but to encourage each other, 
to test each other, to correct each other, to help each other, to support each other. That is why the word community is repeated when we speak. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Are you in the faith? I don't ask this question to judge. I ask it to love. I asked it to myself too, and I'm asking it. Are you in the faith or are you talking about? Are you, you know, in, 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 in the world, they say, are you in love or do you love this person? I, sometimes I really don't know what the difference is. I've been married for quite a long time. At the end of the day, I think love is love, right? And we choose to love, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to say is, a lot of times you can find yourself going through the motions of Christianity where you are not in the faith. You being in the faith meaning you are in the spirit. You being in the spirit means you are led by the spirit. If we walk in the spirit of God, I believe we can stay on course. But when we walk, we walk our path sometimes, but sometimes we walk the path of another. And it's very easy to find yourself doing that. It's very easy to get roped in something that looks shiny, roped into something that looks put together already, that looks arranged. You know, it's very easy to want to be in someone's garden that is already planted. Everything looks nice. The roses are in bloom. Everything is organized and the grass is so green. It's easier to do that than to cultivate your own garden and nurture it and be diligent in doing so. One of my mentors, um, who happens to be the ambassador of Nigeria to Greece, loves gardening. And she's just a, a, I, I joke and I say that she's, I don't know how she's Nigerian because I don't think she has much of, you know, uh, Raz, yes, excellent piano player. You know, she's, she's just from a different planet. You know, the thing that is doing her is how she wants to take care of her orchids, and you know, she's talking about, when she's talking about gardening, the passion is so, 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 you know, um, what's the word? It's so engaging. You want to garden with her. The first day I arrived in Greece, she was talking about, oh my gosh, if you arrived earlier, we would have gone tree planting. I'm like, well, what, what life are you living? You know, what could I be doing? How, what kind of piece of mind? And the thoughts were in Yoruba. If you speak Yoruba, it would be funnier to you. Like, gardening. You know, I want to go and plant a tree. You know, you have to really be at peace to just sit down somewhere and say, I want to go tree planting. But this is who she is. And I say that to say this. I realized that if you are a good gardener, it will instill a certain level of discipline in you. Because you know that if you miss watering the plants, if you miss feeding them, nurturing them, cultivating it, how you take care of it is how you eat it. Do you get my point? A lot of us don't want to nurture that relationship with the Holy Spirit. We want to tap into it, to tap into somebody else's work. So that's part of the reason why many of us judge church. I'm guilty of it. We audition churches, like churches are there to perform. And churches too have started performing because ah, they want people to come and, you know, they want their congregation, the number to go up. But I, are we not even silly? The privilege to be able to walk freely into it, into the house of God and worship God is something that many people in different communities and countries cannot boast of. 
we are freely able to worship God in different languages. Forget denomination and all. But we want to go to church and there's nothing wrong with going to church to worship God. But it is wrong when you are only, you are solely dependent on that and have not nurtured your personal relationship with God. So many of us just cling to other people's plans without asking God, what's the plan for me? It's easier. It's just that like the difference between an entrepreneur and somebody who works nine to five. Nine to five is easier because at the end of the month, a check is going to come through your mail. You don't care what, what how much money they have as a whole. You only need to show up, do your job and go. And there's some of us that that's our responsibility. And there's some of us that are entrepreneurs. The point is, do you show up where you are supposed to show up and do what you're supposed to do? Every single person who is called to this community, who feels seen in this community, is some part of a remnant, is someone or has it been, is someone who might have experienced not belonging, is someone who might have questioned certain things in certain spaces and just felt, maybe nobody understands me, maybe this is not a place where I can say what I'm thinking for. And is someone who has been called to nurture so that other people can also feel seen. There's supposed to be a ripple effect to your salvation versus a domino effect to your falling. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Each person here has been called to build something, has been called to do something, not to the glory of any name. We could be called XYZ for all I care, but it's supposed to be a gathering of empowerment. It's supposed to be a gathering where iron sharpens iron to become, to manifest. Not one where you just cave in the shadows and just blend. You are not, if you are here, you are not here to blend. I know that for a fact. You are not here to blend. You most likely are someone who stands alone. Has, you've experienced people either not seeing you or misunderstanding your passion, misunderstanding the uniqueness of your call. In Titus 1 verse 16, it says, they claim to know God, but their actions deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything. I don't like the strong hand of God. I like the softness. I like pumping. I like when God just does, when he's me soft, so. I also don't like it when I've been given the rule of discipline. It's a part of parenting I don't particularly. I know it's necessary, but I don't like it. But God is in a place where he needs you. He needs you not because the work can't happen without you. But he needs you because he already planned it from the beginning. You know, it's like if you were going somewhere and you had your outfit ready, you already, everything was tailored for you. Versus I now tell you, oh, well, I forgot to pick it up. Can you just go to that store and just buy something off them? There's a difference. Each person is tailored to do something specific. 
and God needs you to do that thing. He's not needing you out of expression. He's needing you out of love. Because you being here is due to the ripple effect of somebody else standing. And you see, God is saying who you are is important. Knowing who you are is also important. And that you need to learn to love who you are by the grace of God. You can't love who you are outside of God's grace. It's very difficult, particularly in a world that has redefined what beauty is and what excellence is and what goodness is. In a world where kindness seems very weak, it's very difficult to feel celebrated, to feel like you matter. And so you find yourself peeping into other people's gardens and you find yourself wanting to just blend there. But God is saying, know who you are and build where you are planted. Build where you are planted. Be consistent. Meaning, not physically radical when you want to be there. You can build with radical. You can also build through the radical. And that's not the point. Wherever you are, build where you are planted. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and you see, when I say we are a remnant, what I'm saying is we are not a people seeking to get a consensus, that validation from the consensus. Do you understand? Because there are many people who are just going with the flow. You will find that you are resisting that flow. You are questioning the flow. And there's nothing wrong with it. One of the things God spoke to me about was in this domino effect, many people will fall due to being lukewarm. And We've all heard that scripture where it says, Oh, you spit out the lukewarm to the lukewarm. And many preachers have spoken very articulately and powerfully about being hot for God, right? One of us, at least one of us, has heard that type of a scripture. But what I want to do today is help you spot the lukewarm, meaning spot the characteristics that could be defined as being lukewarm. It's not just about whether or not you've given your life to Christ. It's what you've done with that life that you've given, what you, what, how you are living that life. Number one, a lukewarm, a lukewarm Christian's love for God may not mean that they don't love God, but they do not love him with all their heart, soul, and strength. They assure themselves by thinking that this sort of total devotion is not really possible for the average person. Because it's only possible for preachers and radicals. To be clear, it didn't say that a lukewarm person doesn't love God at all. It just says a lukewarm person excuses himself or herself by saying that total love with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, your strength, is only for preachers and strong people. Number two, lukewarm Christians think about life on earth much more than eternity in heaven. Their daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, next month's vacation, what they look like, how they sound, 
what people think of them. Rarely ever, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come or what God would have them do from that perspective. Number three, lukewarm Christians say they love Jesus and that Jesus is a part of their lives, but only in part. They give him a section of their time, give him a section of their money and their thoughts, but he isn't truly allowed to control their lives. Number four, lukewarm Christians gauge their goodness by comparing themselves to the world. They are satisfied as long as they aren't as bad as the world. They are not concerned that they are not fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Their high comes from comparing themselves to the low of others. Now, to round up, Isaiah 29 verse 13 says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human laws they have been taught. I want to sit there for a quick minute. I would like you to ask yourself how much of your relationship with God is shaped by the Holy Spirit. And that could come from teaching like this. It could come from teaching from a podcast that you listen to regularly. It could come from worship songs that really minister to you. How much of it is from the Holy Spirit versus some mindset this preconceived idea of what Christianity is supposed to look like. I believe very strongly that being a Christian means being free. Say that again. I believe very strongly that being a Christian means being free. So free that all you are presumed is God in you. God speaking through you. Let go of whether or not you sound foolish. You let go of whether or not people agree with you. It doesn't mean you become inconsiderate, but your biggest consideration is God's opinion. My sisters, my brothers, I don't think you even scratched the surface of this freedom. I don't think I am being honest. I, I still feel that I am still too constrained by what I see and what surrounds me versus being liberated in God. And so when the Bible says their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught, I ask you which rules are holding you back. Revelations 3. 15 to 16 says, I know your deeds. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of them. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to speak to you out of my mouth. You see, there's a part in that same scripture. After all these people, you know, concoct their plan, Absalom says this, and Ethiopian says this, blah, blah, blah. The part that got me, and I want to read the name was, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Second Samuel 17, verse 10. He says, and even those, even the one who is brave, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will completely lose heart and melt away. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are brave men. There's a version that says that your father is a fighter. And my question for us. You know, the title for today is Dominance and Defiance. I felt that each person needed to exude defiance. Defiance basically means refusing. Just, you know, it's a very, no, it's a very gangster stance. It's a very fight-related characteristic, defiance, refusing. David was seen as a mighty man, a fighter. David refused and let people take over him. He stood, he aligned with God. And my question for you is when the enemy is concocting all this stuff, what are they saying about us? Because this whole dialogue in 2 Samuel chapter 17, the top of it is just them deciding how they want to take David down. And they start by, you know, the prophet, the counselor, the person who's supposed to be close to David, saying, Oh, this is how we're going to take him down. We'll wait till he's weary and exhausted. We'll wait till we have him alone and this is what we're going to do. And that's the domino effect I'm talking about. The defiance is David. David was defiant. He was a fighter. He was known to be brave. That is why they said, even the one who is brave, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will completely lose heart and melt away. For all Israel knows your father is a mighty man. Your father is a fighter. So as they gathered against David, they still had to acknowledge that David was a fighter. That David wasn't weak. David wasn't doubling. David, the man we say was a man after God's heart, was single-minded. Until I know what God will do, I will be here. It was clear in his mind. So my question is, are you a fighter? You see, what God is asking us for is quite simple. As we move and as I close my message, this relationship we've likened our relationship with God to that of like a marriage. When a marriage hits a rough part, or a rough patch, or path, whichever one you want to pick, they do things like couples counseling. They say, oh, let's do the things we used to do when we first started dating, when we first fell in love. They'll say, let's make time for each other. Let's choose each other again. You hear things like that when you watch movies. And it's as though they are fighting for that love life, fighting for that marriage. They're saying, it, yeah, it'll be easy to quit. One in two people is divorced. It's easy to quit. Oh, we're going to stay here, we're going to fight, we're going to make this work. That's kind of what it's like for you and I every single day. Because you know what? I choose God. God gave us a choice, it's not by force. I choose God. And I'm going to fight. I'm going to be a fight. I'm going to be brave. God understands what you're going through. He's compassionate, he's kind, he's loving. But there comes a time where he's saying, you know what, you need to wear your big black pants and get on. You need to wear your big boy pants and get out of here. 
you need to fall. You need to stand. And you see, God has called, chosen, predestined, justified you. And so you have to stop abusing his foresight. He's gone ahead of you. He already knows what he called you to do, right? So every single time we second guess him, da, 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 we waste, not only do we waste time, we're also, in a sense, abusing the fact that he's a planner. He's a God of order. So if he already said, do something, go somewhere, be something, he's already made provision for that thing. He's already put it in, in motion. It's for you to fall into it and ask him for the capacity to do it. Do you understand? And the Bible says, and he answered and said to them, I tell you that these should not hold their peace. The stones, he said, if these ones don't hold, ah, I'll start again. He answered unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones will immediately cry out. It's as though God is saying, I need you because I planned ahead for it to be you to do A, B, C, D. I had you in mind. But if you don't do it, the stones will come. He's not going to stop something entirely because we keep refusing to fall into plan. But the thing is, there is still a domino effect. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? For if you now don't do what you're supposed to. And it's not to instill fear or anxiety in anybody. No. If anything, it should give us peace to say God already pre-planned this thing. So I'm calm. There's certain th things and people that if I ask certain people to do certain things, I don't feel the need to check that it was done. There's certain people that have that integrity in my life that I know if I tell this person to do this thing, it will be done. I don't need to check. They're few. They're not many. Some people try, but they're not there yet. And you see, what those people give me is peace of mind. It's like in Nigeria where you have event planning. There's some event planners that are just completely catastrophic and chaotic. But there's some that, you know, the, the family just saunters in at some point and everything is done. So we know that God is a God of order. We should have peace to fall into his plan. And that should make us defiant and say, you know what? Everybody else could be A, B, C, D. But me, I am not called your name. I'm called to do this. I am this. God says this about me. I don't want to belabor the point. If you don't remember anything, remember the, the title of today's message is Dominoes and Defiance. Meaning, there's a domino effect. If they get you, if they can get you to just not believe what God says about you, get you to tap into only being really exhausted and perpetually giving excuses, get you to be in a cycle of just messy and average and lukewarm. There's a domino effect in you. But there's a ripple effect to you standing like David being a fighter, being brave, being mighty, tapping into the Holy Spirit and walking with the Holy Spirit. David walked with God. He asked God and God answered him. He was a man close to God. And he made sure that as he walked with God, it was, David's life is heavily documented in the Bible. Probably maybe one of the most documented lives in the Bible. 
there's a lot to learn from it. And you might be in a place where things don't look like they're working out for you. Or you might be in a place where it's not like things are not working because you're just exhausted, you're weary. You feel like you've been isolated, disconnected. God is saying, I've given this to you. There are people, if you look around, their names are on you. What do you do with them? God is asking, are you building where you are planted? Have you followed the instruction that I gave you? Who are you waiting for? What precisely do I need to do to get you to do what I've called you to do? What I've predestined you to do? I joke a lot that in this community of the thinkers, Nigeria people call it overcalculate, just calculate everything. You overthink everything, so do this and this and this and this. And, you, and we do that to the point that we're just so ineffective. It doesn't mean you shouldn't think through things. But by the time you spend so much time thinking through and feeling things, you don't do anything. The enemy has taken that time and carried people. God needs your voice. He needs your opinion. He needs the gift that is put inside you. God has planted a seed or more in every single person under the sound of it. And that's, those seeds need to be planted. They need to be nurtured. And, and the time is now. You know, they're selling seeds that are planted in different seasons. And God has called me to say, this is the season for you to plant. This is the season for you to manifest. This isn't for you to, to be brave, to, to be a fighter, to stand. Don't lean towards lukewarm. Don't go back to the thing that already entangled your mystery. Don't believe in mediocrity. Don't buy into the generic way everybody is. You're bigger than that. You're bigger than that. And sincerely speaking, are going deeper into dialogue about the Holy Spirit can only be beneficial to you if you are standing. You see, God doesn't like to be treated like a weary giver. It's not that like he's not compassionate or patient or merciful and all those good things. But like anybody, nobody wants to be treated like if you know today, yes, tomorrow, I forget. No matter what's going on in your life, I try as much as possible to check on my kids and my husband every day. I try. Sometimes I'm not as diligent as I should. But there's that basic thing of just checking in to make sure you're good, right? The people we love and we do that with every day. Can we do that with God? I know for a fact that if someone called me and said, mention anybody and just said any that person is in that government you need to blah blah I will, I will activate fighter mode just who I am to know you I want to be like that for God I want to be heavily affiliated with being a fighter for him I would like for my legacy when I'm done on earth for them to say oh don't you know Lami don't you know even the bravest person they go near her things will scatter Oh, she's a fighter and she's a mighty. Even then, I want God to say that about me. I want the scripture written after my time to say that about me. And I want that for you too. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by that. For more wholesome, edifying content, and to learn more about us, please head over to our Instagram page at The Radical Remnant. Also, join us live for Charge Up on Sunday. We've reserved a spot just for you. 
All the details can be found on our Instagram. Once again, we're the Radical Remnant. Everyone, anyone, one God.